0: In the holy name of Jesus, amen, Amen. blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. The divine service is likened by Jesus today to a great supper. God has an extraordinarily large banquet hall. He's got the best music lined up and the most luxurious food. The guests of honor have written the most significant pieces of literature in all of human history, the speakers are men, women, and children from all walks of life, each with a powerful and moving story to share. And he's even giving away to everyone in attendance custom tailored suits for the gentlemen and the most beautiful gowns for the ladies, or whatever you'd prefer to wear. The whole party and everything needed is a free gift, and everyone is invited. But there's a problem with the Great Supper of the Lamb. Despite all of its splendor, all of its giftedness, it's ignored. It's disparaged. Sometimes the Great Supper is even demeaned. A few reasons why. For one thing, it's received by us in faith. It is magnificent Although, for now, it doesn't look all that impressive. It is the best thing that will ever happen to you. But the results won't come until the last day. The food is the most nourishing meal that you can have, for both body and soul. But for now, it tastes and looks a little boring. The music that is sung is the song of saints and angels in chorus. And yet, for now, you'll struggle to sing it, that is, until eternity. Because of all the Great Supper's sensory shortcomings, it isn't really the talk of the town. There's always something better going on. There's something perhaps more pleasurable, more enjoyable, more spectacular, more phenomenal, that you could be doing this morning. You could sweat it out here, although it's not as hot this week as on any sunny morning, listening to a crazy end-times prophet, suffer through the noise and chaos of fans and children, and mumble your way through the songs, some of which you've never sung. Given the alternative, though, you could sleep in a bit, or you could go to the cabin or sit in the boat on the lake, bask in the glories of your Mother Earth, which is both relaxing and refreshing. If you put it in that kind of way, it seems the Great Supper is a hard sell, especially on a particularly balmy Sunday morning. So, maybe we could do something then to make this Great Supper of the Lamb more appealing. And there's always an endless list of, a litany list of, Suggestions that are wrong with the Lord's Supper, the Great Supper. I've heard them. You probably have too. If only we did this or that, then the pews would be full and the feast would go on. If only the music were better or different, if only the food was better, the speaker was more helpful to my daily life, or if only the people were friendlier, the decorations more beautiful. The requirements relaxed. The climate more comfortable. (laughs) Got a long list. Surely there's something that we could do to repackage the Great Supper to be more appealing, to incentivize people to attend more frequently, to market ourselves in a way that's more enticing. If only. The failure of the church to entice Captivate and retain people is not the fault of the Great Supper. The failure the failure is the result of the hardness of sinful man's heart. to heed the invitation. And then the failure is a result of our unwillingness to receive and trust in the Great Supper in the way that Jesus gives it. That's what Jesus is about today. He'd have you examine your heart as He did with that man who said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then to examine your heart according to the parable, thereby seeing that the problem isn't with the supper, it's not with God. The problem is with you. And thereby you'll understand not only yourself, but you'll understand why so many others seem so readily, casually, to disregard the best thing going every Sunday morning. Because the Great Supper doesn't really seem all that great according to our common experience, then there is really no end for the excuses for one might attend. In my experience, the excuses are, just as Jesus said, quite ordinary. They all, with one accord, began to make excuses. With one accord, meaning that every excuse that Jesus gives as examples today, they're really all the same excuse. It doesn't matter whether you have ground to work, or animals to tend to, or a wife to do something with. Jesus says that these failed excuses all cause you to miss the great supper. And actually, those ordinary excuses seem quite reasonable to us on the surface. I'm sure you've all encountered situations that are just like those. Time was of the essence. Rain was coming. Whatever. But I think the third excuse is even more the most sensible. I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This is the most common one of all. I need some family time. Sunday morning is for me, for my family. When else could we go on the trip? When else could we do things together? But Jesus again says that it's all the same. Whether it's your work or it's your possessions, or it's your family. These are all just easy but really bad excuses that your sinful flesh makes to get in the way of receiving Jesus in his great supper. So then, of course, people say, Pastor, you need to call these people. You need to tell them to come. Look at your own heart. Tell me, is there anything, any argument that could be made apart from simply being faithful to what Jesus has given us to be and to do, that it's going to do any good. Oh, but we could do things. We could offer more things. We could have programs and functions and activities. We could keep busy. And yet, in the end, we might not see anything for it. Or we could do all sorts of improvements to try to be more appealing, sprucing up the interior and exterior of this building, or maybe just repairing it, But that's not going to make what Jesus gives any more appealing. All the ways that you could make the divine service, the Great Supper, more easy, accessible, friendly, comfortable, or just simply shorter, that isn't going to do anything to overcome the reluctance that is really resisting the work of the Holy Spirit and his invitation. You can whine and complain, or more importantly, or even better, just do some things, and still not see anything for it. Because it's actually about the Word. It's about the invitation. That's the thing that does the converting of hearts, that brings people into the fellowship of the saints. Now, in case you're concerned, I'm not saying you can't be critical about what we do and why we do it, ask hard questions. Everything this congregation does must be held under the authority of God's Word, not done by fiat from the pastor or the council. Everything we say and do must conform to what Jesus gives us to say and to do. So of course there are little things that we do that are really completely indifferent that we could take or leave. There are things that we do that teach the faith. That's necessary, but the thing that we do isn't necessarily the only way that could be done. There are all sorts of things that We identify as a congregation, maybe the way we govern ourselves, that help us preserve and care for what God has entrusted here. But we could do it a different way. Everything we do must be defensible, even as as something indifferent or helpful for the proclamation of Jesus Christ and his blood-bought forgiveness. But that also means that anything that we do that causes even one of the littlest of us to live or to teach contrary to the great supper of the Lamb, then that must be abandoned, rejected, if for a time, if not forever. You see, the point of Jesus' parable today is that the great supper isn't ever going to be all that impressive and spectacular. The biggest barrier to the supper isn't the supper itself, it's actually us, our own sinful hearts and the ways that we're not comfortable simply with what Jesus gives that means that nothing that we say or do ultimately is going to make any difference as to whether the invitation spoken faithfully is accepted or not that's the only thing that actually matters that we're faithful to his word and the gifts as he gives them and even while being faithful the people we expect to listen and then to receive and with a joyful heart to come to faith and believe sometimes they don't It's not because we didn't do what we were given to do. It's not because there's something wrong with the supper. It's not because of any of our many failures to be the most friendly, comfortable, or winsome church. It's not because of any individual's foibles or flaws, which, of course, we try to correct. Again, it's simply this. You and those around you don't want to listen to Jesus and to receive him. Search your heart honestly. Examine it according to God's word. Use the Ten Commandments if you like, and you'll know that this is true. But thanks be to God, it actually doesn't matter in the end. Jesus will have you and all those whom are written in his book of life at his feast. You're here today, heeding the invitation, actually being forgiven for not wanting to be here. For all those unending excuses on what or why you don't think that this feast is for you today or any other Sunday. God will be your God whether you want him to be or not. He'll move heaven and earth if necessary to get you through those doors and into this sanctuary to receive forgiveness from him in his great supper of the Lamb. The invitation rings out over and over Come unto me. And if you finally come, you're going to find all those who have received it. Maybe even some that you didn't expect to find in the pew here this morning. Because nobody is excluded. As Jesus taught in the parable, the invitation kept going out until the supper was filled. There was no distinction. Not Jew, not Gentile, not male, nor female. Not moral, virtuous, upstanding pipes and, well, the other kind. All the social outcasts, the screwed-up oddballs, ex-convicts, you name them, Jesus kept inviting until his feast was full. And he can do it, because everyone walked through the doors forgiven in his name. So maybe to our eyes, it's not all that impressive and spectacular, at least not until the last day when you and all the dead are raised and your sleepy eyes will open to see the Lamb upon His throne, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And just like today, then you'll do it with your eyes and senses, all your senses. You'll feast and sing and tell stories and rejoice in the same way that you've always done here, but just again as you couldn't see. May God grant it for you and for all those who are invited. In his holy name, amen.